0: After that, David was no longer possessed. Wow. He was exercised. The demon was gone. He was like returning back to himself. Wow. But after a few days, Arnie was driving when he said that something took over the wheel of his car and drove the car straight into wow.
1: a tree. Hey everyone, welcome back to What Happened with Jackie Flores. I'm Jackie and I hope you guys are doing super, super well. So, welcome to episode 30. Today is a special episode because I have my very first guest, Loi. Welcome. Hi, hi, hi. Hi, yay! I'm so happy that you're here. <laughs> We're matching with our pillows. We got the cozy vibes going on. We got our Starbucks. So it's really an autumn day. Yeah, an it's autumn an autumn day. day. It was kind of gloomy outside too, mm-hmm. and it was like raining when I drove here, so I was like, it's gonna be a good day. Like we've this got is our the vibes. True crime, we've got our car. Coffee. we've got yes. our pillows we're ready so we're going to be talking about something spooky today so if you guys are not familiar with Loi, she has a really cool channel where she talks about all things paranormal and spooky with a splash of fashion and makeup included which i love because i feel like that's a good break from talking about ghosts mm-hmm. and hauntings it's like let me throw in a makeup video in there just to like <laughs> liven up the mood i live yeah. for that so i would definitely recommend that you guys go check out her channel anything paranormal is a go for me so I'm really excited about this collab. Okay, so for today's episode we're going to be talking about a true crime case that involves true crime but also something paranormal. Today's case is about someone that claims that they were possessed while they committed a murder. So I'm going to be telling Loi about the true crime part, you know, the murder, the trial, like what happened, the investigation and then Loi's going to get into discussing the paranormal aspect of it since that's like her area (laughs) and this is just like a very controversial case because I mean that's kind of crazy like going to court and saying I didn't do it like the devil made me do it. Mm-hmm. That's not something that you hear every single day in a court case. So it's a very crazy case to talk about. There's actually a movie from the Conjuring series based off of this one. I believe it's the third movie. And oh, yeah. yeah, I think the movie was called The Devil Made Me Do It. I think it was. Yeah. So I didn't even know that was like a real case, but after I finished watching the movie, I was like, oh my God, like someone actually did this in real life. So... If you guys are not familiar with The Conjuring movies, there's three movies, but they also have like the franchise of Annabelle and The Nun. And these movies are really big, and some of them are actually based on a true story, as I just said. Real-life paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren are at the center of these movies. And in 1981, they testified in favor of a man named Arnie who had murdered his landlord. So why did Ed and Lorraine support him? Well, they claimed that Arnie was possessed by the devil, and that's why he murdered his landlord. So this case is just really shocking. Netflix just came out with a documentary called The Devil on Trial, which was really interesting. So I thought we would talk about it today. So with that, there's a lot of information to go over. So let's jump right in and let's talk about The Devil on Trial. So Alan Bono had lived most of his life in New York City. He attended Iona College in New Rochelle, New York, and he really loved traveling. He visited Europe and the Far East, and he even worked as a manager of some plantations in Australia for 17 months. So, in June of 1980, Alan's sister, Virginia, asked him to move back to the States to manage her property in Brookfield, along with a dog kennel called the Brookfield Boarding Kennels. So, Alan lived in a home right above the kennels, and he also managed a nearby property. So, at this point, Alan was 40 years old, he was short, and he was stocky. Alan was very used to the warmer weather, and he complained about the harsh New England winter all the time so alan's mom judith would often say that more men should be like him like she really thought well of her son but at the same time like i feel like sometimes moms say that like oh my son is like the best son in the world and he's like a perfect human (laughs) but then you go speak to their friends and people close to them and they kind of just say something opposite that was the case with alan according to his friends alan did suffer with alcoholism which doesn't mean that he's not a perfect person i mean addiction is very real and it's just something that sometimes you cannot control but his friends did say that it did affect his personal life a lot and he just wasn't as perfect of an angel as his mom said So Allen had moved to Brookfield, Connecticut, which was a very slow paced, quiet and just ordinary looking town. It was one of the fastest growing towns in Connecticut. And in 1981, its population was about 11,300, which is almost nine times what it used to be in the 1940s. It was a pretty safe town like things didn't really happen in that town. There hadn't been a murder there in 30 years. So people just felt really safe there, comfortable, and just happy. It was very unlike the fun and exciting places that he had lived in, so Alan was still adjusting to his new life. He had made friends with two of the newer tenants named Arnie Johnson and Debbie Glatso. So let's talk a little bit about Debbie and Arnie. Debbie was 26 and Arnie was 19 years old and they had been dating for three years before moving in together. Wait.
0: The math, the math, <laughs> the um, math is yeah. I'm like that one meme where all the numbers are coming out of the literally lady's head. Like, hmm. like I'm just like, oh wait, that doesn't quite add up. That Does doesn't it? quite
1: add up either. Yikes. I was I first when I read that I was like, wait, let me like circle back on this and see what the age was. So they had actually first met at a supermarket in Bridgeport when Debbie was 19 years old and Arnie was only 12. So it's definitely oh my uh, God. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't know what was going on there. A 19 and a 12 year old. Nothing good. Nothing good (laughs) was happening there. So they met when he was super young. And the way that they met at the supermarket was that Debbie had knocked over a display. And Arnie told his mom that he was going to go help her, like pick everything up. And Debbie had also met Arnie's mom, Mary, and they became friends. So she was friends with his mom. They would go to, you know, have picnics and take Mary's kids to the beach. And when Arnie turned 16 years old, he actually asked Debbie out on a date and they began dating. Wow. At this point, of course, Debbie is not underage. She is way over 18 years old. And again, she has known Arnie since he was 12 years old. So I do feel like that's just a little bit weird. Like, how did that happen? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, certainly somebody should have been Stepping looking out in. for the yeah. 12-year-old
0: child. For the 12-year-old um, child, definitely. Yeah, that's that's a, that's pretty fishy mm-hmm. uh and and unfortunate and un, I mean so unfortunately something I feel like you hear yes. kind of frequently, frequently and, in true crime cases. But yes. um yeah, what uh, what an interesting way to meet at the supermarket. At the
1: supermarket when you're 12 years old 12 and your mom old and your now girlfriend were like friends like that's Oh my god I just can't so even like picture that like me yeah. starting to date one of my mom's friends like that does not make any sense but That is the situation that Arnie and Debbie were in. They fell in love with each other. They became really good friends and they just started this new relationship at this age. Their relationship evolved and they actually moved into Alan's apartment in Brookfield in November of 1980. Now, Arnie and Alan in particular were really good friends and Debbie actually worked for Alan as a dog groomer at the kennels. Now, Alan knew nothing about running a kennel, so he relied on Debbie to make sure that things were running smoothly, that the dogs were fed and that they were exercised. Debbie would sometimes even bring her family members to come help out while Alan just kinda sat around and didn't really do much. Debbie and Arnie had lived in small towns their entire lives, so they really loved hearing Alan talk about all the places that he had been to, and Alan just really loved to talk as well and just share about all of his life experiences. They just really hit it off with Alan. They were even making plans of owning a pet store together in the future, so things seemed to be going well. Now let's take a break to hear from our sponsors at Uncommon Goods that allow this podcast to be possible. Guys, this holiday season is approaching and if you're like me, you love surprising your loved ones with special and thoughtful gifts. I always want to hear them go, where'd you get that? That's why this holiday season, Uncommon Goods is our secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to help make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or for your entire family, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. Here are a few of my favorite gifts that i found on the site i really enjoyed these cute hair clips there's so many hair clips that they offer so if that's something that you're into and you just kind of want to decorate your hair there are so many cute and unique options for you on the website they also have this really cute follow law christmas hoodie which is perfect for the christmas season if you want to like snuggle up get into a cute hoodie there are so many things for you to choose from one thing i really like about uncommon goods is that you can make personalized gifts so if you guys all want to have like matching hoodies this christmas season you guys can all get the same one with like your family name on there or if you want to match with like your partner with your friend that is something that I really love about that so I definitely recommend you guys check them out if you're looking to get something personalized when you shop at Uncommon Goods you're supporting artists and small independent businesses these fine products are often made in small batches so shop now before they sell out this holiday season Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality unique and often handmade here in the US they have the most meaningful out-of-the-ordinary and exciting gifts for every occasion, from art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar. Uncommon Goods has something for everyone, not the same lackluster gifts or impersonal holiday card that you can find anywhere. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give $1 back to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. That's what the holiday spirit is all about. So, to get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash whathappened. That's uncommongoods.com slash whathappened for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. Guys, the holiday season is here and it's going to get busier and busier. So, you're definitely going to want to be looking for nutritious, convenient meals to keep you energized on those jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service is here to help. We have dishes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef prepared dietitian dietician-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos. Too busy with holiday plans to cook but want to make sure that you're eating well? Well, with Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready to eat in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Skip the stress of meal prepping over the holidays with Factor. Choose from 35-plus weekly flavored, packed, fresh, never-frozen meals that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all delivered right to your door and ready to eat in two minutes. Looking for special occasion meals during the holidays? Level up with Gourmet Plus options. Prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Enjoy premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. Enjoy extra convenience any time of the day with an assortment of 45-plus add-ons to suit various preferences and tastes. Choose from breakfast items like our delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon cheddar egg bites, and potato bacon egg breakfast skillet. Or for an easy wellness boost, try refreshing beverage options like cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. This November, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavored packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes, no prep, no mess. Head over to factormeals.com slash whathappen50 and use code whathappen50 to get 50% off. That's code whathappen50 at factormeals.com slash whathappen50 to get 50% off. And now let's get back to the case. So now, let's fast forward to February 16th, 1981. 40-year-old Alan was working at his dog kennel. That day, 19-year-old Arnie woke up and he said that he felt a little bit sick. He had kind of like a sore throat, so he called in sick from his job at the Wright Tree Service in Bethel, where he worked as a tree trimming surgeon. As for Debbie, Arnie's girlfriend, she was working her regular shift at the dog kennel and she was trimming a dog, a black French poodle, who was dropped off for grooming by its owners now arnie's two little sisters wanda and janice who were both teenagers and one of their cousins named mary who was only nine years old had actually come to go visit and they just wanted to watch her kind of like interact with the dogs so arnie's sisters were there visiting from bridgeport where they lived with mary johnson who was arnie's mom so arnie debbie and alan took arnie's sister to go have some lunch at a local bar called the mug and munch which was like a narrow little place in a shopping center it was just like a regular get-together like arnie was excited to spend time with his sisters he was excited for debbie to spend time with them and it was supposed to be just like a fun family-filled day alan and arnie were drinking wine they were telling jokes that day arnie and debbie did have a few drinks as well but not as much as alan now while they were drinking alan said that he was gonna quit drinking this coming saturday for sure this time because like i mentioned he did have a problem with alcohol and i guess this was like his limit he was like no on saturday like it's stopping no more alcohol like i'm done so they were drinking having fun and alan had actually even paid for the lunch since the girls were visiting and since he was a little bit older than everyone as well after lunch the group returned to the dog kennels and alan asked arnie if he could help him fix his stereo and arnie agreed to help him Alan was a bit intoxicated at this point, which is never really fun for anybody like dealing with someone that's like really, really drunk. And, you know, there's a little bit of tension that started to build up at this moment. So Arnie fixed the radio and Alan actually turned the volume all the way up, which was like a really disturbing sound for everyone. And again, there was just like a little bit of tension building up since Alan was so intoxicated. Mm. Now, at some point, Debbie actually took the girls to go get pizza, but she could just sense that there was something going on between Alan and Arnie at this moment. And she quickly went to go give the girls some pizza. And then she immediately wanted to come back to the dog kennels because she just felt like something bad was going to happen like something in her gut told her like i need to come back so Again, Alan was extremely intoxicated at this point and he was just really agitated as well. Suddenly, Arnie and Alan started fighting with each other about the payment for Alan's stereo repair. So Alan had also made an obscene comment about Debbie and the little girls. I was not able to find like what he specifically said, but a lot of people assumed that maybe it was like something sexual. Like maybe he said something sexual about Debbie or about the little girls, which of Mm. course would make anybody mad. Like you should not speak that way about like any woman or about children. So that just escalated things even more. Debbie and the girls came back from having pizza, and they came back to see an Alan acting even more aggressive than before. Oh, wow. Yeah, so definitely, like, it escalated. Like, at one point, they were just drinking, having fun, and then it turned into, like, a full-blown, I guess, like, how do you call it? Like, a binge, where he was just, like, drinking and drinking, mm-hmm. and it just was making everybody around him uncomfortable, and now he was, like, fighting with Arnie. So... Debbie and the girls get back, and this is when Alan turned on the TV, and again, he put the volume up way too loud, and he also just kept pounding his fist in the palm of his other hand. Arnie and Alan eventually began fighting, and Debbie decided to take matters into her own hands, and she demanded that everyone just leave so that they could avoid a fight, and just kind of like leave Alan alone to kind of, you know, let the alcohol wear off and just let him settle down. So everyone started leaving the room, but that's when all of a sudden, Alan grabbed Arnie's cousin, Mary, and just refused to let her go. So he was basically stopping Mary from leaving, Mm -hmm. which of course is crazy because, I mean, this is like a little girl, she's only nine years old. So like a full grown man should not be grabbing a girl and like stopping her from leaving. But like, that's just how intoxicated Alan was at this point. He was just acting really horrible towards Mary and to everyone else. Debbie tried to free Mary from Alan's grip, and thankfully Alan did release his grip on Mary a little bit. So at this point, Arnie had actually gone outside to the car, but when he heard all the commotion inside, he immediately ran back in and came upstairs arnie ordered alan to release mary so he did and mary was able to run to the car to safety so mary was able to get free and they were all outside you know trying to get away from the scene but that's when arnie got into alan's face debbie tried to get in the middle of them to break things up but all of a sudden something in arnie just broke so one of the sisters wanda said that arnie was growling like an animal as she tried to pull him back and then Uh suddenly Arnie took out a five inch pocket knife and he stabbed Alan in the chest four times. One second, Alan was pounding his one hand in his fist and then the next, he was on the ground dying. From a pocket knife? From a pocket knife, which I'm just like, what in the that world? Is brutal. Brutal, like oh it just, gosh. how did it escalate to that? You yeah. know, like uh, just, I get that. like the comments that Alan made were probably inappropriate towards Debbie and the children, but to stab someone four times and in front of everybody like that's just crazy someone that is your landlord and like a friend Mm -hmm. i don't know how it escalated to that point but you're having lunch with them yeah you're having lunch with them he paid for the lunch and everything so it's definitely like of like what really went down Mm -hmm. is like the question like what did he say that made arnie be so upset about this so after arnie stabbed alan four times he actually just took off and ran into the woods like just left everything didn't even like really think about what he had done or like waited to see like oh my god like is he alive he just like ran away of course everyone that was left behind in the scene was so confused i mean what had just happened like arnie was not someone that had ever killed someone before like this wasn't a part of his history so how did it get to this point point? and on top of that debbie didn't even see arnie take out a knife so it just happened like all so quickly so the police eventually receive a phone call about what had happened at around 6 30 p.m that day so debbie called her family to let them know because again they were all really fond of alan like he was a nice guy so the fact that her boyfriend had just murdered their friend alan of course she wanted to call them to let them know what had happened and since they all lived together they all rushed to the scene to kind of just help debbie out and just see what had happened so debbie's mom her father carl Glatzel senior and her 15 year old brother carl jr showed up Debbie's brother went over to Alan, who he said was gasping for air. He kept telling him, Alan, hold on. Eventually, policemen Lucas and Joseph made their way to the kennels and saw them all huddled around a body. Allen was given mouth-to-mouth resuscitation by an EMT who arrived at the scene at 6.41 p.m. The EMT attempted to revive Allen, and then an ambulance took him to the Danbury Hospital, but unfortunately, Allen did not survive the stabbing, and he was pronounced dead at 7.39 p.m. So, again, just crazy how things just can happen like that like one minute you're having lunch with like your tenants and with friends and then the Mm -hmm. next minute you're stabbed to death it's crazy how fast this stuff happens Mm -hmm. and how quickly a day can turn into like a massacre a massacre especially because they're like this is a family day like we're gonna have fun Mm -hmm. and like we're all gonna like go on a picnic and then it ended like with this like a body bag oh my god the poor girls the the poor poor girls like the little girls i had to witness this like i just i can't even imagine so the police interviewed all four witnesses who all gave them pretty much the same account that they had been drinking arnie seemed to have been in a trance and it all just happened so quickly so police had put out a bulletin for arnie because at this point he just ran away into the woods like he was long gone so while the ambulance was returning after taking alan to the hospital they saw someone that matched arnie's description and called it in the police mm-hmm. followed this tip and they found arnie two miles away from the site of the murder in a hackney's bar and they arrested him at a bar you like, ran into the forest, sir. You like, ran into the forest. So I'm just like, what in the world? And like to go to a bar after you just did something so brutal. Yeah, like, Just
0: like with know. no care in the world that you yeah. just murdered somebody. It's also just so weird that he just takes off into the forest, like has doesn't say yeah. a word to anybody, just runs. Not and even like, I'm
1: sorry. Or nothing. like, call the police. Like, let's see if he's still alive or something. Like, he just ran away. Mm-hmm. And like, we'll get into this a little bit later about like, what Arnie says he experienced during this time, because his perspective is definitely interesting but also just very controversial like is he just lying about what he about blacking out like we'll get into it but it is just shocking that they just found him at a bar like was he not covered in blood i'm just like i'm confused it's (laughs) also
0: it's just such a brutal thing to
1: do Mm -hmm. and to
0: just go like drink at a bar especially because at this point like you have to assume that everything escalated to where it got because alan was so drunk and mm-hmm. like ma- making like weird comments and whatever yeah. and not that that's okay but like like you just murdered a man like
1: mm-hmm. so
0: drunk and now you're gonna go to a to bar. bar and go drink your like it just
1: seems yeah. so weird i i wonder like Did he think he was not Going to get caught Like he was Like if anything Maybe he could have Kept hiding in the woods Or something But like Going to a public bar Where like I'm sure Someone's gonna spot you Especially if you had Like blood on you Or something Like Um, it just seems Like he I don't know We'll we'll get into What he was going to But I definitely think Like he either like Blacked out And just didn't even Think about it Or just thought He wasn't gonna get caught And was like I'm just gonna go to a bar Like maybe he thought He it was like a fever dream or something like it didn't actually happen maybe honestly maybe also like something that we have to remember is like arnie at this point is only 19 years old Mm -hmm. which is so incredibly young first of all he can't even drink at a bar because he's not 21 so it's like why did you end up there and since they were Uh drinking that day like maybe the alcohol just hit him differently because he's so young and he's also really skinny Mm -hmm. so at the pace that he was drinking with Alan, who obviously was like bigger than him and older, like I maybe he and just a regular drinker, Yeah, a like, regular drinker that could like maybe hold more like maybe Alan, maybe Arnie did just like completely blank. Yeah, like, just kind of went on a little binge and his body just couldn't handle the alcohol. But it is like, why were you at a bar? You can't even get get a drink. Yeah, like, yeah. that's confusing. So. After Arnie had been booked, he asked the detective why he was there and what was going on. The detective told him that he had just killed his friend Alan. Arnie replied, I did not, and said that Alan was fine. But the detective said, no, he's not fine. He's dead and you killed him. But Arnie says that he could just not remember attacking Alan at all. Like, this was brand new news to him. Like he had no idea that this had even happened. I mean he was even confused as to why he was arrested in the first place. Wow. Yeah, it was definitely shocking to detectives. Like there's interviews with them where they're like he literally said it with a straight face, like, No, Alan's fine. He's alive, but I didn't do anything. And detectives are like, What? Like, you just killed him like a few hours ago. yeah After that, Arnie was incarcerated in the Bridgeport Correctional Center under a one hundred and twenty five thousand dollar bond. So, it was revealed that Arnie had a history of violence, and so his bond could not be reduced, but he had no actual criminal record. So, I'm not sure why the judge refused to reduce the bond amount. On March 19th, a month after Alan had died, a grand jury in Danbury, Connecticut, heard testimonies from Debbie, from Arnie's sisters, Wanda and Janice, and from his cousin Mary, who of course were the four witnesses that saw all of this go down. Aside from these witnesses, three other people also testified in the case. The first two were Sergeant John W. Lucas and Special Officer Norman Ellis, both from the Brookfield Police Department. The third person to testify was Dr. Katherine A. Galvin, who was the Associate Medical Examiner for the state. So, these testimonies were not made public, but the grand jury indicted Arnie with the murder, so he was going to be going to trial. Now, the day after the murder, Lorraine Warren, a paranormal investigator, told the Brookfield police that Arnie had been possessed by a demon when he killed Alan. Well, I'm like, <laughs> imagine hearing that as a police officer. You're like, yeah. I'm sorry, what? Like... I've never heard of that before. Like, Like, already knees deep in this, like, absolutely,
0: like, brutal, tragic case mm -hmm. to have this paranormal investigator and a well-known one at this point as well Mm -hmm. coming up to you and saying, like, hey demon made him do it I don't know yeah I, I don't know what you want to do with like that. hey
1: that wasn't him it was demon it's like okay how are police even like, I don't even know where you would begin to investigate that yeah. like how do you even go about that so and of course like Ed and Lorraine were very well known at that time and just a little bit of backstory if you guys aren't familiar with them Ed and Lorraine were very popular back in the day and people would often contact them when they suspected any paranormal activity in their home or if they thought that a family member was possessed so because of Lorraine and Ed's popularity at this time time the case just like really blew up around the country and across the world everyone was like wait what like a demon possessed this guy and that's how he murdered his friend like what's going on here and i'm like i can already picture the headlines back then like Mm -hmm. that must have been just something that no one even expected to ever hear or like see someone like use it as a defense right yeah so because of how big the case got people were actually calling it the demon murder trial and Arnie's attorney martin manella was getting calls from all around the world just to talk to him about the defense about the case and just about what the next steps would be Mm so arnie's mom mary johnson told the press that martin was not taking any money from them to represent arnie now martin's rule was to never charge the client more than they could afford and arnie's family was very poor Mm -hmm. arnie's mom worked as a maid at a hotel to support herself and the children so of course they weren't really going to have money to get like a big shot defense attorney So, Martin said that he was honored when Arnie's mom asked him to represent Arnie, as he had read about the case in the papers. Now, Martin's partner had actually told him not to take the case because of the demon and the possession stuff that the media was saying. But Martin said that he was interested to learn more about it.
0: That's so interesting Mm that he took it on after knowing that, and like was fully like, "Oh no, this is like something
1: I can I can
0: work with." Yeah, like maybe maybe I can win
1: this, like demon defense thing yeah
0: like 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 going into it knowing that that your camp is saying like demon made me do it like Mm -hmm. like something about possession here just something that's like unheard of in court at this case Mm -hmm. as well I'm i'm sure um that's crazy. It's crazy,
1: and it's also like I can imagine his partners were probably like, maybe we shouldn't take this on. Like, yeah, I don't know how good it would look for us to like be representing someone that's claiming the devil or like a demon did this. Mm-hmm. But I feel like maybe Martin had. A mentality of like, no, like I want to be the first lawyer to kind of make this work. Sure is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like he probably read it and was like, oh my God, like no one's ever done this. Like, I'll do it, and like who knows what can happen after that. So he decided to take on the case. So he actually spoke with Ed and Lorraine Warren and they showed him all the evidence they had to first of all prove that like possession was even like a real thing, that demons were real, and that Arnie had been possessed by a demon. So he actually traveled to London to meet with two lawyers who had been involved in similar cases. So there were three cases in total, two were arson and one was a rape case in England. And all three cases were basically saying like, I didn't do it like I was possessed and what's crazy is that it actually worked so the cases didn't end up going to trial like there wasn't like a jury that was like yeah like this makes sense like he was possessed the decision ultimately was led by a judge the judge was like all right I'm gonna make the final decision and they decided that that was the thing that the two arsons happened and the one rape happened because of possession Wow which I know when I read that I was like what like that's crazy that's crazy found not guilty because of possession on three different
0: occasions exactly that is
1: wild that is wild and like a rape one which is like such a sensitive thing like how can how did that even I want to know like what did that person like the rapist say like someone possessed me to do this like rape this victim like I'm just shocked that the judge actually allowed three cases to kind of just be thrown out by that you Mm -hmm. know not guilty by reason of demonic possession Wow. Shocking, right. Wow. It's what a crazy. precedent to set. Mm-hmm. That is
0: I, I totally understand why they would have used those in this case because that is yeah. unbelievable. Mm-hmm.
1: It's crazy, and I feel like it maybe will inspire like other people to be like, well, let me try using that. Mm -hmm. If a judge already believed it, like maybe I can get off with my crime by saying a devil made me do it. So that was really shocking news. But going back to Arnie's case, even though having a jury made things harder for him, Martin was prepared to use possession as Arnie's defense in court. So he knew that he was gonna have to face a jury. It wasn't just gonna be like him talking to a judge being like, please judge, like, please say it was a possession. Like he's gonna have to convince like, like other people that this is like what actually happened but he was ready to tackle that on and again i feel like it just circles back to maybe he just wanted to be like the first u.s lawyer to like achieve this and that's what motivated him to like push this case further because i'm like Mm -hmm. i feel like most lawyers would have dropped it by now totally i mean yeah yeah if you were just saying like no i'm not guilty like the devil made me do it i just feel like most lawyers would have been like i can't help you like
0: especially with like the degree of like national i guess attention that this yeah. is getting at this point mm-hmm. because like you said there have been these other cases overseas but first one in the u.s and the first one that's ever gone to trial yeah where they're trying to argue definitely this.
1: so martin told the media that he will prove in court that arnie was possessed by the devil and that it was the devil who killed alan not arnie he said that this was not an insanity defense but something more unusual When asked why Martin thought that the devil targeted Alan specifically, he had a pretty weird answer. Martin said that Alan's last name, Bono, means good in Italian and that the devil wanted to destroy good. Kind of grasping at straws, like, I feel like, like, what? Like, kind of just trying to make anything in his mind be like, oh my God, yeah, his last name means good in Italian and the devil hates good people. So, like, that's where the connection came from. So, I feel like, again, I'm just like, I don't know. This lawyer is just a little... That's a, little a, si- that's
0: a little silly, if, I do, little if I do si- say yes. so myself.
1: <laughs> like, it's a little too much of a trying to find any type of connection. Yeah. It's like, maybe there really is no connection. Like, yeah. he was kind of just grasping at straws and just trying to make the public be like, oh my God, that makes sense. Like, his mm-hmm. last name was good. Like, no. I'm like, no. Yeah, I no, it, it doesn't yeah. make any sense,
0: but I, I understand, mm-hmm. I th- I think I understand why he would have done that just to make any correlation Anything, yes. like with Find the paranormal any type of or the, yep the mm-hmm. devil like whatever
1: yeah so martin was actually planning on flying in exorcism experts from europe to testify and provide evidence that prove that the devil is real and that possession really does occur Martin was actually quoted as saying, quote, the devil, in fact, is going to be on trial in this particular case. I will prove that God exists and that Satan exists too. Wow. I know, wow. It's just shocking. Shocking that like it got to this point. (laughs) Like, I just can't like, I feel like Martin was just like determined to like make this work. Yeah. I mean, I, I
0: guess, like, if he really, really believed it, that's one yeah. thing. But mm-hmm. I have to wonder, too, at this point, does he think... Is is he just so set in, like... I think you're so right that he wanted
1: to be the first lawyer yeah. to prove it. Mm-hmm. But is he just dead set on that? Or is there any part of him that, like, believes what he That really does believe it, yeah. Which we'll definitely get into a little bit later. Because, I mean, of course, there are some people that don't believe possession is real. Mm-hmm. Some people don't believe in demons or anything like that. But if like what you're saying is true, like he truly does believe in God and the devil, like that probably pushed him even further to be like, no, like I know the devil's real and I'm gonna prove like Mm -hmm. he did something so martin knew this case was extremely popular and he remarked that quote this case was going to be bigger than the gene harris trial now Jean's case was talked about in the media heavily she had murdered an ex-lover who was a well-known cardiologist and author that people loved so this was just like a really big case at the time so martin was like this is going to be bigger than gene's case like this is me literally proving that like a devil did something So while the defense planned to argue that Arnie had killed Alan because of demonic possession, the state believed that There was no demon involved you know this was a human that had done this nothing had possessed arnie to do something so cruel and instead they honestly believed that this was an act of jealousy and they actually called this just a typical routine homicide there was nothing deeper nothing more sinister it was just someone killed another man now why did police believe that this was because of jealousy well they believed that maybe arnie's girlfriend debbie was having an affair with Alan and Arnie had finally found out about it, causing him to lash out and commit an act of passion. Carl, Debbie's brother, says that Arnie was very possessive of Debbie. Debbie knew that the police suspected that this was a love triangle type of situation. So she actually went into the police station and told the detectives that she heard the rumors and she actually confirmed to detectives that she did have a relationship with Alan, Mm. but that it was over with and that the stabbing had nothing to do with it
0: wow wow do you know if at this point debbie is like is she on arnie's side is she like
1: she is in his camp wow yeah. she wow. has stood by him throughout this like entire thing and we'll get into like what ended up happening to their relationship later but she was like i mean arnie had would never do something like this like why mm-hmm. would he kill our tent our landlord and our friend so she honestly believed like he was possessed and she felt like her her affair with Alan had nothing to do with this, yeah. but I feel like to an unbiased person in that situation and to detectives are like, well, that's a huge motive. Right. Like, you're sleeping with your boss and you're sleeping with our landlord. like That's pretty, that's, that I mean, that's could, significant motive. That's significant like, motive. Of course, I could definitely push someone to do this, which of course is not okay. Like you should never murder someone even if there's like an affair involved, but it's definitely like, A reasoning as Mm -hmm. to why Arnie would do something like this now in interviews with the papers Debbie always said that her and Alan were just friends and that he was really lovable and that everyone loved him but again she told detectives that they were in a relationship so to the police she's admitting that yes like we had an affair in a relationship but to the public she's denying everything Mm -hmm. So, after this, Arnie's trial began on October 28th, 1981. Arnie's attorney, Martin, wanted to submit a plea of not guilty by virtue of demonic possession. Martin asked the first juror, Gerard Ryan, if he believed in the existence of a demonic force. But the state prosecutor objected to this line of questioning and said that Martin's question was personal and it did not go to Gerard's qualifications as a juror. Mm -hmm. Which I feel like I understand, like, I feel like, asking about like religion and stuff is like always like a touchy thing so like asking a juror like do you believe in the devil is like no (laughs) it's also like already planting it in your head it's like getting you thinking about it like it's like leading
0: you into the path of thinking Mm -hmm. that you would want you
1: to Uh, yeah exactly and like getting the other jurors to also think like well do i believe in the devil Mm -hmm. like is it real so i understand why the judge did not allow that question and the judge robert callahan then asked martin how he was going to prove demonic possession as an objective fact Now, Martin used the example of two British cases where demonic possession had been allowed as a defense. The judge then asked Martin to present the citations to him, but Martin said that he didn't have them and that they were in the mail. Like, I guess like the proof of these things. Like, mm-hmm. of these demonic possessions cases that worked in the past. But Martin insisted that he could prove that Arnie was possessed, but the judge was just not interested in this. Judge Callahan said that the argument was irrelative and unscientific, that there was just like no evidence backing it, so it could not stand in the court of law. Mm-hmm. Now, Robert said that the profession, business, hobby or whatever of locating demons has not risen to the level of viability where it would be of assistance to the jury in deciding the case. So he decided that he would not allow it in his court and wouldn't even permit any evidence about demonic possession, which, of course, like threw Martin off his game, like that was his whole thing that he was going to do mm-hmm. was like prove like Arnie was possessed by a demon and that's what caused this. it wasn't him so it's definitely interesting that the judge was just like no like that's yeah. not happening here like i wonder why the other judges in like england and stuff like were okay with this but he wasn't yeah i i think you know
0: maybe the difference was that it had gone to a jury mm-hmm. i mean maybe could the be, judge yeah. in the other case was just like believed in this kind of stuff and mm-hmm. took it with a grain of salt or whatever but like Yeah, being thrown into like a full like jury trial and knowing that your entire defense, you just can't use it anymore. Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly. And I also feel like maybe the judge was like, this is kind of silly. Like, we're going to have a whole trial about like a demon and like jurors are going to have to like debate about this. So, like, Mm -hmm. maybe. That's why he was like, nah, this is not going to happen. Like, this is just too silly. Now, as I said, Martin had been confident that the defense would be accepted. So now he had to figure out what he was going to do next. Like, how was he going to help his client? And, you know, this was his whole defense that he had been working on for so long. So he immediately called for a recess in the trial. Mm. After this, outside the courtroom, Martin said that the judge's words were not a final ruling and that he was still planning on bringing on exorcism experts martin said that he was going to argue the demonic possession in the absence of the jury so that he can use the judge's rejection as the basis for an appeal so like he was like determined he's like i don't care what the judge says like i'm gonna like still go about this like because i i feel like he maybe did believe like truly in his heart like yeah the demon did do this he was determined to continue going with this Narrative, but ultimately he wasn't allowed to actually bring any paranormal experts into the courtroom and they mainly spoke to the media, and Martin did too. Martin told reporters that wounds found on Alan's body were way too deep to have been made by a human being and that they were the work of the devil. But again, none of this happened in the courtroom, so it didn't really count towards, you know, Arnie's defense. So Martin changed the defense and argued that Arnie had acted in self-defense and that he should only be found guilty of manslaughter, not murder. Because of this, the jury was not legally allowed to consider demonic possession as a serious explanation for the murder. On November 13th, 1981, Dr. Henry Lee, the chief of the state police forensic lab, testified that the blood from a sample from Allen and the blood found on the knife were both type Blood, and eight out of the nine hair characteristics found on the knife were a match for Alan's hair. So the assistant state attorney Richard Arcanti said that it was scientifically impossible to get a perfect match for the blood and the hair. Now, this was 1981, so they didn't really have DNA technology back then like we do now, mm-hmm. so that's all they were capable of determining. Another specialist testified about the blood alcohol content in both Allen and Arnie's blood. They said that both men were very intoxicated, but that Allen's blood registered at 0.33% and that he had drank three times the wine Arnie had. Now Arnie's mm-hmm. alcohol level was 0.03%, which was below the state standard of 0.10, but it had to have been higher at the time of the killing. And Arnie had since mm-hmm. then sobered up because, like we said, like hours had passed before he was caught. The barmaid who served them at Mug and Munch that day, Susan, testified that she had served Alan and Arnie about 13 to 15 glasses of wine that day. And again, oh, he's like 19 years old. My God, right? 13 to f- that's like that's crazy. That's like three bottles, no, right? No, no. Like i can't even do one glass of wine i'm already gone (laughs) like actually like it's bad so i'm like 13 to 15 glasses of wine like insane it's insane so alan and arnie were definitely very intoxicated that day and again arnie's only 19 years old so the alcohol probably just hit him way different Mm -hmm. and again what he says later about blacking out like maybe that is the case but it's not an excuse like alcohol isn't a good excuse for murdering someone, mm-hmm. you know? The Brookfield officer, Joseph Lamparelli, who was the first one to get to the scene, testified that when he got there, Debbie was screaming, Help him, help him, he's been stabbed. The EMT, who then had rushed to the scene to save Alan, said that when he got to the scene, Debbie was crying hysterically and said he didn't mean to do it. So, mm-hmm. as I said, like she has been behind Arnie's back like the entire time, like supporting him, believing that this isn't him and that this was just like a random like demonic thing that just made him do it she also kept saying oh daddy he didn't mean to do it but you know how he gets when he's drinking referring to arnie mm-hmm. so is that kind of like a subtle hint of maybe arnie does transform when he drinks alcohol on that day they had 13 to 15 glasses of wine so maybe a demon didn't do this like yeah. maybe he was just drunk out of his mind and just got violent yeah, got
0: violent and it turned into murder Mm -hmm. i mean Mm because clearly this is a pattern if Mm -hmm. she's bringing it up
1: then yeah if she's bringing it up exactly so officer joseph also said that debbie's father carl told him that cheyenne ak arnie did it he's over there by the way cheyenne is arnie's middle name so after that they then found arnie in the hackney's bar Mm -hmm. so that's kind of like the timeline of like from the police and the emt's perspective and like just that comment from debbie just like really stood out to me because i'm like okay if you're making it seem like that's how he gets when he drinks it's like what really happened then yeah you know like so when arnie took the stand he simply said that he didn't remember what happened that day you know he said that he completely just like blacked out he's like all i remember was being there and then one second i was gone like he and it's just so hard to like believe that because maybe he was like so drunk that like you did black out and you just don't remember but at the same time like you can just forget that you murdered someone it's like uh, it's just hard to believe because like he could just be saying that to like save face and like kind of just be like I don't know what happened but I wonder if like deep down he does remember you know like what happened that day yeah so after the trial the jury which included seven women and five men deliberated for a total of 17 hours spread across three days that's a long deliberation long deliberation yeah i mean i, I want to know what they were debating about like what were what was the issue like of finding him guilty or not guilty so on november 24th 1981 in the 17th hour of discussions the jury found arnie guilty of first degree manslaughter wait it was manslaughter it was and not manslaughter. wow mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's crazy i know it's crazy i'm like Maybe that's what they were debating so much for those three days, whether it be manslaughter or murder. Mm -hmm. So he was found guilty. And on December 18th, Arnie was sentenced to 10 to 20 years. Now, Arnie told Debbie that she should just like go on, you know, move on, marry someone else, you know, move on with her life because he was going to be in prison for 10 to 20 years. But Debbie decided that she wanted to wait for him. And they actually got married in 1985. While he was in jail, Arnie even got a high school degree and he was described as being like the ideal inmate. You know, he never really had any issues in prison with like other inmates or with the officers. So because of his good behavior, he was actually released from prison in 1986 after only serving five years. Five years for murdering murdering. a man with a pocket knife. The pocket knife. And then doing the whole loopholes of like, it was a demon and putting everybody through what he had just put, the whole town and the family through for five years. I was like, that's actually so sad for Alan's family. It's like, wow, my loved one's murder and like death was only Mm -hmm. like worth five years. Like, it's just really, really shocking. And just because he was like a role model inmate, like. Doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything. He can be good
0: in prison. He can still have been, he he still murdered somebody Mm -hmm. and you're letting him out after five years. Yeah,
1: exactly. So of course that was really shocking to the public to hear that he had only served five years and now Mm. he was out and about you know going back to living his normal life because he was married to debbie you know he just fell back into his normal routine of life and i don't know it's just really shocking and it's just really sad for alan's family like i said to know that he was just released so quickly okay so that was like the true crime aspect i mean this could go deeper and deeper like if you keep digging into this case there's more things that you find but that's basically like what happened you know how alan was murdered the defense that arnie decided to take and now we're going to switch over to Loi. who's going to talk about the supernatural part the possession part the exorcism part and just kind of hear that perspective because like i said this case is so controversial because I mean, there's so much demonic possession involved in this and some people believe in it and some people don't. So let's talk about it
0: so a really dark and heavy and crazy case Mm -hmm. that already at this point i feel like anybody who's listening to this is like what is actually happening here Mm -hmm. um but spoiler it's about to get a little crazier because debbie's family says that the story actually starts back on july 2nd of 1980 Mm -hmm. when david glatzel debbie's younger brother was only 11 years old so david described himself as like a quiet kid Mm -hmm. but all that would change. Yeah, And just to let you know, the Glatzel family was Catholic. They did believe in God. They believed in the devil. Um, you know, in a religious household, there's, there's talk of those kinds of yeah. things. So on July 2nd, David and the family had gone to Arnie and Debbie's new house in Newton to help them move in. Now, David said he thought that there was something kind of off about this house. And granted, David is a child. But he was kind of saying like, you know when you go somewhere and you just get a weird vibe? Like there's just something about a place that feels a little off. That's what David
1: said that he felt. I feel like, I feel like everyone has experienced that as a child, totally. or at least like once in your life. Like I've gone to like either I moved into a new house or I went to go like visit my grandparents' house, and as soon as you walk in, like you just feel something is off. The vibe will shift. The vibe will shift. Yeah. And you're Like okay, like is it my imagination because I'm a just, I'm a child or is mm-hmm. it like something more sinister? So like I can totally relate to David on that perspective of just yeah. feeling something weird when you enter a new place. And I think especially for a kid, like mm-hmm. you're a little more vocal about it than yes. maybe an
0: adult because as an adult you're supposed to be polite yes. and you're you in and it's like, oh my God, what a beautiful place you have. Yeah. This kid is like, something is. Yeah, he's like, get me out of here. here. Yeah. yeah, no,
1: definitely. As an adult, like if you told someone that like, oh, I f- I'm creeped out by your yeah. house, they'd be like, that's rude. Like, but a kid can say it, I feel like, and you'll just be like, oh, they're just a kid. They're like, just, It's
0: just a new place. It's just a new
1: place, exactly. But mm-hmm. David
0: said there was something off about this place. Uh Debbie wound up giving each of the brothers a chore and she actually asked David to get into the master bedroom and mm-hmm. sweep up. And so David was alone in this room, but he said he could just feel something. That vibe was intensifying. And then suddenly he was pushed backwards onto the bed. And he said that he saw an image that looked like the devil, like a Halloween costume version of a devil, Mm -hmm. you know? He said that the eyes were solid black and that this devil told him beware and that he once. His soul. It also said that harm would come to his family if they didn't leave. The house. David came running out of the house. Came running out of the master bedroom. Ran straight out As of the anybody house. Would
1: I'm like if I was a little kid, and I freaking saw that. Like first of all, I don't even know if I would believe that that was real. <laughs> right. I'd be like, I'm sorry, did I just picture the devil telling me that? I would, but I would immediately run out of there. Just like, that's out just out of there immediately. That's yeah. so freaking creepy. He's.
0: I mean, he's he's oh going out of the house. David mm-hmm. is David is the one making the most sense to me so yeah, far. So get, let's get out of here. The Maybe the let's paranormal. listen to the devil
1: that's telling us to leave, or yeah. something's bad's gonna happen. To to
0: us (laughs) he's telling everyone like you got to get out of here I'm going home right now I'm not staying here at dinner that night David told his family about what happened what he saw and none of them really believed him they said he's a kid it's a new place he has an imagination so David went to bed that night and he saw an image once again of something coming for him and it was getting closer and closer towards the house he thought he saw a figure but when he looked again, there was nothing. So he stayed up most of the night with his eyes open. You know, when you're a little kid and you're hiding under the blankets yes. and just peeking out every couple of minutes. I'm assuming that's what David was doing. I can't the whole even imagine night.
1: trying to go to bed that night. Ugh. Like experiencing that. And then, first of all, like telling your family and them not believing you. Mm-hmm. And then you start questioning yourself like, okay, did I actually imagine that? Or did the devil actually speak to me? Like,
0: no. That's the whole so night this kid is just wired and yes. awake. I mean, as as you would be as after you an would experience be, of like this. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, what David was experiencing here was a haunting mm-hmm. and you know, was like this weird entity that he kept seeing. Yeah. Uh, This might have been attached to the house or it could have been like a physical entity that's now attaching itself to him. To David, yeah. Yeah. This entity was a ghost or something Mm -hmm. ghost-like. David would say he saw this old man that looked the same. Can you imagine? No.
1: No. No, I can't. No, imagine (laughs) just like seeing an old man all the time. And no one believing you about it in the first place? And then you're just like, there's this creepy old man just freaking looking at me uh-huh. all the time and following me. And in every single one of these
0: like weird visions that David was getting, this old man was there, mm-hmm. like constantly present. So Debbie and Arnie continue to live in their new home. And over time, they're starting to hear some weird sounds coming from the attic. They never saw an old man. I don't think really like had these experiences that david was having yeah just like heard
1: something yeah it was Mm -hmm.
0: something to note that there are some weird noises coming from the attic david on the other hand is not having a good time after all of this he starts having unexplainable injuries such as scratches and bruises and constant night terrors just demonic possession demonic presence 101 yeah literally like.
1: like the signs of exactly of like you're mm-hmm. someone's trying to grab onto you, like some something's trying to attach itself to you. Because I feel like yeah. it's always like that, like you'll get like random like marks on your hand of like someone's like fingers or like grip trying to get onto you. Or so like the scratching. The, the unexplainable bruising. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Wow. So because of this, Debbie and Arnie were actually worried about living in their new home, and they moved back into Debbie's mom, Judy's house. Yeah. Judy was really concerned about her son, David, at this point, so she mm-hmm. calls a local priest and asks if he can come and bless the house. So Father Dennis arrives at the house bringing holy water with him, just- The whole thing. Prepared mm-hmm. to sort this out. Yeah, incense he's got everything. He blessed every single room in the house. But even after all of that, David woke up at three in the morning, screaming bloody murder. He said, he's coming for me why he's
1: coming for he's me He's coming for me and why Who is it is always coming? three o'clock in the morning Why is it it's always, always 3 a. like three or like six a.m <laughs> like it's always those times uh, <laughs> i guess it's the devil number the devil number no literally increments of three <laughs> yeah exactly i'm like i feel like it's always 3 a.m but like also yeah. how crazy for debbie and arnie like you just bought a house that you're so excited about and then your mm-hmm. little brother just starts experiencing all this paranormal stuff and because of that like Then you start to hear things like is it actually them hearing things or is it like implanted in them because like the little brother is like Something weird is happening in your house So then in the back of their mind, they're just like starting to hear things, but like is it real or not? Either way, like the vibes were already off from the beginning If like your little brother comes in and is like I want to get out of this house Like something is not right and then scratches start appearing on him You start hearing stuff in the house like It's just crazy how all that happened. They just gave up the house within like a few weeks of living there.
0: So now it's 3 a.m. David has just woken up. He's screaming, he's freaked out, and he recalls the house shaking, like someone had just driven a truck. Into their wow. house, one of the other brothers in this family, also named Alan, mm-hmm. I know many. So many Alan, Arnie, every, everyone starts with an A. Yeah. yeah. So Alan, the brother, not Alan Bono, mm-hmm. remembers that it sounded like a UFO landed on top oh. of the house. Then the lights started flashing and things
1: in the house started falling off of shelves and breaking. Wow, so like it wasn't just David now experiencing it. No. Like now the family was actually believing what he was saying. They're like seeing
0: it with their They're own seeing eyes. Their own like eyes. Like the house yeah. shaking, like it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. So David says that this whole ordeal went on for 30 or 40 seconds. The entire wow. family is just left petrified after this, like Mm -hmm. so freaked out. David was also experiencing real behavioral changes. He was kicking people, biting them, swearing all the time. Not like a sweet little boy any Mm -hmm. longer. He was like, he was kinda out of control. Yeah, like a full attitude switch up. Yeah, Yeah. and and perhaps all in the name of some kind of ghostly presence. Mm -hmm. So the family talks to their neighbor who's like a tarot card reader, probably like into spirituality. Yeah, And this neighbor says that her mother-in-law once saw a psychic investigator and thought maybe they could help the family out. Mm-hmm. Debbie followed up on this just because like she knew her family needed some type of help like her brother needed some type of help yeah. here and she wanted whatever was in her house and her family's house now as well uh, to leave to, to just to be get out of yeah. here like get out of here literally <laughs> like after after the personal mini earthquake like uh-huh. I'm sure like they were just like okay no more at this, this point they
1: were just like uh, someone just get rid of it at this point like yeah. we'll do whatever it takes because like yeah. the priest had already gone to like bless the house yeah. and stuff they've already taken that steps that didn't work yeah they've already taken the steps to like cleanse it and they already moved houses to. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. so the fact that it followed them to the new house like at that point I would have just been like please someone come and just get rid of this demon or whatever get it out of here yeah uh
0: Cut to the family meeting none other than Ed and Lorraine Warren, who already at this point are like renowned psychic investigators. Ed and Lorraine have just a crazy history under their belts of Mm -hmm. um, dealing with demonic possession. A a lot of stories with families as well. They really have this like perception that they they help families mm-hmm. like they are the people to call if your family is in need of help they've helped children they've helped like all sorts of people yeah and they are just known as like the people to go to if you need like a demon if exercise you need a demon like, out of like your house yeah.
1: out of your body like they're the people to call or like even if i've like i know they have like that whole like museum of things mm-hmm. where oh my god that doll's haunted don't touch that doll or else it could possess you so it's like they they don't just like get rid of stuff on humans and houses mm-hmm. like they also get rid of it in like objects and stuff that mm-hmm. could be like a portal in a way is so i think yeah. that's how they describe it. like a portal of like oh the demon gets in through the doll and then if you have the doll the doll like takes over you so i feel like at, even to this day like people still know who ed and lorraine are like that's how oh, big an impact that they've had they had an impact on um like
0: i i feel like their impact recently can really be felt in Hollywood. Yes, they definitely. are the basis of absolutely every horror story you've ever heard. If you've ever heard of yeah. the Annabelle movies, uh, that Those was at Lorraine Warren <laughs> actually at yeah. their museum. That mm-hmm. doll is still locked up in a case. Yeah. That Raggedy Ann doll. Oh. Um, I hate to tell you this, Jackie, but I actually have so. that exact same Raggedy Ann doll. <gasps> really? <laughs> at my house. I did buy it, like, when I kind of got into horror. I was like, yeah, like, let, me I just, like see. let me
1: just, like, see what happens. Like, let me just buy it on
0: ebay (laughs) 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 kind of their first um case that sort of exploded i feel like into a media frenzy virality at the time Mm -hmm. if you will was their work in the amityville horror house which is just i feel like a case all of us know something about Mm -hmm. um Even if you're not into true
1: crime, like you still know that house. Oh, yeah. It's just so big.
0: mm -hmm, You know something about that story, I feel like. Even if you've just seen what it's influenced in Mm -hmm. media. like I feel like so many modern-day horror stories come from real cases that Ed and Lorraine Warren worked on. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the thing that put them on the map, so to speak. And then also, fun fact, they were involved in the Perrin family's haunting. Uh, Now, the Perrin family's
1: story inspired the conversation Conjuring movies, and really like. That movie, that was like honestly one of the scariest movies that I've seen, like I will say, for me personally, like I got really, really scared with that movie, and then just even knowing that it was based on a true story just added even more to the horror, because I'm like, the fact that someone experienced this in real life just made it even creepier. What's really interesting about The
0: Conjuring too is that that house is still like, it still stands, you know, whatever. Actually, most recently, um, ghost hunter Sam and Colby went oh, there and yeah. saved a week there. Oh my gosh. And apparently, this was the thing that turned one of them from kind of skeptic to full believer. Mm-hmm. Like, the Conjuring House is what like has turned many, many, many people from yes. like paranormal skeptic, like, oh, I think ghosts could be real, but maybe not, to like, oh, full ghosts are real. It's, it's a real thing. Because yeah. of the activity in that house. Mm-hmm. So. Ed and Lorraine Warren are the real deal, to to put it lightly. Mm -hmm. So, Ed and Lorraine Warren were invited like absolutely everywhere to talk about their investigations um, and given like book deals to write books about these. Everything. Eventually, that turns into movies. Mm -hmm. And they have just had a very long running history as paranormal experts. No one better for Debbie's family to call Mm -hmm. than Ed and Lorraine Warren, really. Ed is actually a demonologist, and Lorraine is a psychic medium. So they're a dream team. They work dream together team, pretty yeah, well. Yeah, power team. So when Debbie calls them, they ask her if like David had seen a doctor, and she says that yeah. he, he hasn't seen a doctor so far. Ed asks if he can bring one in that's pretty reassuring to me personally because like they're not just going in like this kid is fully possessed like we we're coming in to like see this demon and like make it a media frenzy like they came in hoping to actually help and I think Mm -hmm. that they're kind of controversial, Ed and Lorraine, you know? But I do think that in a lot of circumstances that
1: they were just trying to
0: help. Mm -hmm. And I I think that this was one of those.
1: The fact that they offered a doctor first to be like, let's check the kid out first to see if he's okay. Like maybe it is like a mental thing or maybe something else is wrong with him. I feel like that, like what you said does show that they were trying to help out instead of immediately being like, okay, hey, exorcism time, like let's yeah. book it. Like, like they cared. They I, cared.
0: I, re- I think that they Definitely. cared and they, they certainly cared in this case. They mm-hmm. show up to the family's home, Ed and Lorraine and their doctor and they're, they're ready to get to work. The doctor checked out David and said everything seemed totally normal. Mm-hmm. Then the Warrens talked with David and the family. Ed says, you know, just generally, if yeah. this thing has power, if you have power, then knock on the table three times and they said that it sounded not like a little knock 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 not like a quiet it sounded like someone took a sledgehammer to the kitchen floor it made the whole house shake it was so intense so david said like this thing wants to hurt me Mm -hmm. and that the entire family were going to be punished all because ed and lorraine warren are there there yeah Lorraine also said that she saw a large, dark mass standing next to David, which is never (sighs) good. That's not a good good. sign, no. Um, Ed and Lorraine Warren confirmed that this was like a demonic entity that was attached to the family in the house. The family really believed this. I mean, they were terrified. So all of this is happening over summer vacation, and it's kind of confirmed, like, there is this presence, there is this attachment. Yeah. they don't think, and by they I mean like the family, Ed and Lorraine and Warren, mm-hmm. like everybody involved, they don't think like that David himself is being possessed. So there's, there's just like no, an entity around there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's no like serious action being taken around this yeah. time, I think. In August and September of 1980, the family started taking pictures and audio recordings of what was happening in the house. And you can hear on these recordings that Judy, Debbie, and Arnie really, really believed that David was possessed by something. They believed that they saw David being beaten and choked by something that they couldn't see. And they have a photo of what looks like David holding the wrists of like somebody who's like choking him oh i think i've seen that photo yes
1: that that, that's a very creepy photo
0: and it's yeah like like because you can't see it but like it looks yeah i i can like see it in my head Mm -hmm. as i'm talking about it and it's it's really 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 creepy yes debbie and judy also said after this that there were like red marks on david's neck so it seemed like this what had just happened was totally totally real Mm -hmm. david also started to growl and hiss and speak in voices that were not his own he had also attempted to choke both judy and debbie um and he had physically attacked like everyone else in the family
1: just he's only 11 years old like that's a little kid doing all that like growling and like attacking Uh your mom and attacking your sister like that's a lot yeah like that's a lot for like a little kid to do, like voluntarily, if they're not yeah. like being possessed or something like that. Like I can't picture like a little mm-hmm. kid doing that.
0: Or if there's not just something like overtly wrong. Like just, if you want to yeah. look at it from a totally like non paranormal standpoint, if the, if everything is just totally normal in mm-hmm. their house, like it's it's weird that there was just this switch up. with Yeah, them. the switch up. Yeah. So. Alan, once again, the brother, yeah. Alan, not Alan Bono, remembers that the family like would have to sleep in shifts, basically, mm-hmm. so that David wouldn't wow. harm them or himself. Hmm. He could not be
1: like left I, alone. I they can't couldn't. imagine the stress of that. Mm-hmm. Like every single day you're kind of just like on watch, like yep. on guard of like, OK, any minute my brother could attack me and it could either or be himself or attack
0: himself. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had to imagine like that was exhausting. Exhausting. When David would sleep, the family remembers like seeing him while he was asleep, Mm -hmm. thrash around and twitch. Wow. It really, really, really creepy. Mm -hmm. Carl Sr., David's dad, actually didn't, Believe that David was possessed. However, and I think that's worth noting. Yeah, he thought his son was having like a mental health crisis. Yeah, but also at this time, Carl Senior was working two jobs, and he really was only home to sleep.
1: Mm-hmm. So he he was like, he didn't see like he, the day to day stuff. Like he was at yeah. work all day, so he didn't see like what the family had to experience during mm-hmm. the day of seeing like David go into like random attacks and like get aggressive and stuff. And I feel like it's normal for like. One parent, or like at least someone, to doubt paranormal activity. Totally, like hundred percent, and it makes sense that it's the dad, and it makes it's sense always that, the dad. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, I'm like, I feel like the dad, like the mom might. Be like, oh, my God, my son, like, he's possessed. Like, she might be more giving into that. But I feel like a dad is definitely just, like, there's no way my son is possessed. Like, no. Right. Oh. It is your, I, I don't know what it
0: is about fathers. But they they are legally obligated to tell you, to gaslight you a tiny bit when there's
1: <laughs> pro <pernomectivity. laughs> No, literally, yes, exactly. Like, that's the last thing that they'll ever think is, like, happening. Mm. They're like, no, you're not haunted. Like, come on. It's just, like, you're, me- like, something's wrong in your head. Yeah. But, like, you're not haunted. Yeah. So, I understand why the dad would have that perspective, but it also is like, well, he wasn't there day to day. So it's kind of hard to negate what like the mom and the rest of the siblings were feeling that day and
0: seeing and and hearing
1: and yeah. In the documentary as
0: well. Like the priest says that the demon's goal is dividing the family. It's, it wants to like divide and kind of sow doubt, I think. And I mean, if you can't cause physical harm, if you are a demon and you can't cause like actual physical harm to somebody, like do whatever you
1: want, mm-hmm. then what's the next best thing? You're going to emotionally harm someone. them. Yeah, definitely. And causing the dad to like think, oh my God, my family's kind of crazy. Like mm-hmm. they all think our son is possessed, but he's really just having a mental health crisis. That's like a big way to divide the family, like oh, isolating 100%. the dad from everybody else, mm-hmm. definitely. At this
0: point, it's clear to the rest of the family, uh, outside of Carl Sr., that David really needed help. Mm -hmm. So, Judy, the mom, calls the Warrens to come back, and she told them that David would, like, sometimes not even blink. Like, things had gotten a lot worse since the Warrens had been there last time. Now, David isn't even blinking. He just, like, stares with his eyes wide open, like, very creepy creepy behavior. The Warrens said when they returned that David was definitely possessed. But wow. they didn't believe, actually, that it was just one demon mm-hmm. trying to possess David. They believed it was actually 42. 42? Different demons. Uh-huh. What, 42 different demons? Like 42. According to the Warren's grandson, the mm-hmm. first goal in possession is like this destruction of the family yes. and then death, mm-hmm. right? Either the host is killed or someone else is yeah. murdered. So the Warren said David needed an exorcism and Ed helped them to contact the church mm-hmm. to get this done. You can't just like get an exorcism. Do I don't know if you've watched any horror movies lately, but you have to like go through the Catholic church. Yes. They have to believe that the person is possessed. Like exorcisms are a very, very, very serious thing. Definitely. Fun fun personal facts. I grew up in like deep southern rural Georgia and mm-hmm. I went to an Episcopalian church. Yeah. And um I I don't really like know what different denominations of the church like, I couldn't tell you right now what they believe or like why this was a thing, but the father of our church also performed exorcisms. And my dad worked at that church and he would always like kind of try to ask him questions. He would be like, so like, what, is, what does that really entail? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. And the father would just kind of like look at him and shake his head and say, let's talk of better things. Let's yeah. talk of nicer things. He didn't want to go into details mm-hmm. about that. Never.
1: Wow. Isn't that's not that weird? That is, you know, you're so close to it. <laughs> I'm like, what? The fact that like your priest at your church like did exorcisms? Like, that's crazy. Like, like I feel like I don't. Feel like it's real just because, like, yeah, we watch movies like The Conjuring where they always have like an exorcism take place, and like it is such a journey to get it. Like, they have to go to like the Vatican to get it Mm -hmm. approved. So, because of that, like, I don't, it doesn't like picture in my mind as like being real because I've never heard of one happen in like San Diego. Like, right, it's just not something that I really like. I feel like it was like a thing maybe back then, like in the 80s and stuff, but like now I feel like I rarely really don't hear about exorcisms yeah or like being like performed commonly or anything like
0: that like getting older and realizing what a strict process it's it a strict is process, like i look yeah. back at that now and
1: i'm like what was going on yeah that church was insanely yeah haunted. like what was going on with that priest like did he get approval or was he just like <laughs> was he just going <laughs> he was in going in and, <laughs> and doing it on his own like he's like yeah you can come here and i'll do it like spooky wow, spooky yeah. spooky so in this,
0: you have to have people that believe you in of order course. to get an exorcism. And according to Lorraine's claims, six different priests believed that David was possessed. Wow. And they did agree to help him. Mm-hmm. So David winds up having like multiple unsuccessful exorcisms from this. Wow, multiple? A lit- I'm like, mm-hmm. wow. Like back to back. They like, always
1: make it seem like when you get an exorcism done, like it's so much stress on your body and like it could potentially like kill you. So six is a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have to imagine just like very scary to everyone involved, so, yes. the priests, to the warrants, to the family, to David. Yeah. Um, wow. uh, Lorraine also said that during these exorcisms mm-hmm. that David levitated, stopped breathing for My periods gosh. of time wow. and had precognitions, which is like supernatural knowledge of the future. Mm-hmm. And he allegedly mentioned, get this, arnie stabbing someone wow yeah yeah at david's last exorcism allegedly Mm -hmm. arnie put a crucifix on david's forehead and david's skin like sizzled like like it was like burning the family is like getting desperate here and that's when arnie basically challenged whoever was possessing david to instead possess him Mm -hmm. saying leave this little kid alone take me on wow And apparently, by him doing that, he gave permission to these demons to possess him.
1: Wow. Whether Arnie at the moment was believing like, okay, this... Demon might go into me, or maybe he wasn't believing, and that's why he willingly offered himself. I still feel like mm-hmm. that's like a big sacrifice to make. Totally, just, yeah. I would be scared. Like I can't picture myself doing that, whether or not I believe in it or not. Just telling demon come into me, like yeah. Even if I don't believe in it, I'd still be scared. Like
0: what if that actually did happen? Like going to right. Me. And I mean, yeah. you may not know what it'll be like, mm-hmm. but Arnie was soon to find out. Yeah. Arnie remembers this cold feeling coming mm-hmm. over him, and Lorraine saying, "Oh my God, what did you do?" Yeah. Ed said that Arnie just opened a door for himself to be attacked. And this is a thing that priests learn about when Mm -hmm. they learn about exorcisms. It's called migration when the spirit or the demon like transfers from one host to another. another. Mm -hmm. After that, David was no longer possessed. He was exorcised. The demon was gone. He was like returning back to himself. But after a few days... Arnie was driving when he said that something took over the wheel of his car and drove the car straight into a tree. Arnie drives his car into a Mm -hmm. tree and somehow walks away like not injured. That's crazy. uh, Which is crazy in itself. Yeah. But. He decides for some reason to go back to the old rental home, the one that they quite literally fled yeah. because they were feeling so
1: uncomfortable with all of the activity. Like they moved back into Debbie's mom's yeah, house. Yeah, they don't even live there anymore. Like I don't even know if they have been there since they fled because of how scary everything mm-hmm. was. And he's just going right he's just back. going back. Arnie went to an old well on the property. And mm-hmm. this is when
0: he says that he came face to face with a demon. Yeah. He said after making eye contact with it, He became possessed in October of 1980. The Warrens actually went to the local police Mm -hmm. and told them what had happened with Arnie at the exorcism and said that he didn't know what he was up against. Yeah, Lorraine told detectives, I see serious injury or death with a knife.
1: Wow, so it's like now David had already said, I feel Uh like Arnie's going to stab someone, and now Ed and Lorraine are also saying, like, something's going to happen with a knife. Yeah, so they're already like. How do you say it? Like having a premonition about it, right? Yeah, I wonder what like Arnie and the rest of the family was thinking when Arnie was like, "Take me over." Like, was Mm -hmm. Debbie freaked out that her boyfriend maybe now was possessed? Was the family worried? Did like. I wish there was like more detail about that of like what they thought what they were feeling what they were feeling and, yeah. of like Arnie sacrificing himself in a way to take over the demon.
0: I think it's really interesting no matter what with this case mm-hmm. that there were multiple different sources here saying that they knew that something was going to happen with Arnie and a knife, and a knife. like way before the murder. Yeah, way ever before happened.
1: Alan even came into the picture. Mm-hmm. Wow. In November
0: of 1980, Debbie was hired by Alan Bono to be a dog groomer at his kennel. And the job came with an apartment that Debbie and Arnie moved into. Mm -hmm. After they moved in, Arnie started behaving just really strangely, very similar to the way that David had started acting when all of this started. Arnie would get into trances, he would have hallucinations, he would growl. I imagine he was staring into space, not blinking. He would have like no memory of these episodes mm-hmm. either. And Debbie was worried that Arnie had become possessed. possessed. Yeah. In the days leading up to the events of February 16th, 1981, mm-hmm. Arnie was just getting worse and worse and weirder and weirder. Yeah. The night of February 15th, actually, Debbie recalled that Arnie had what she believed was a seizure. The way that Arnie describes February 16th, is that he recalls basically all of the events of the morning up mm-hmm. until the lunch. He remembers Alan being intoxicated and like nothing too bad, which maybe speaks to like when his consciousness would have kind of slipped Stop. away. Yeah. Supposedly, yeah, because like everyone else was saying, oh my god, Alan was wasted. Was, yeah. He's was so intoxicated. So Arnie wow. is saying, like, you know, he remembers Alan being drunk, but not, not, not like, too crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. not doing anything nuts. He still didn't want his sisters, however, to see. Yeah, Alan to be around like, like a drunk guy, of mm-hmm. course. So he tells Debbie, like, just take them somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Arnie says the last thing he remembers is walking downstairs in the home. Debbie called her family's house phone on February sixteenth, around seven or eight PM. And David was the one who picked up. David said that he could hear his sister crying but before she said anything he had a vision of a man dead. David had the vision? David had the vision.
1: Wow. Yeah
0: but I think that's really creepy. That's really creepy because
1: like at this point like the possession is out of him like there's mm -hmm. no more like entity so how is he like having that vision? He has this like vision. vision. Wow. Right after that
0: call David told his brother that it was The beast that Mm -hmm. killed Alan Bono. David also had a vision of Arnie just after the murder, walking to the family's home. David was terrified by this, like, oh my God, Arnie is coming here, and like he's possessed. He's He's possessed. He knows what else he's going to do. Right. So he and his brother, David and his brother, move a dresser in front of his bedroom door so that absolutely no one could get in. They believe that if the ambulance driver didn't find Arnie they would be killed too. They were next. Because he was like
1: making his way to their house, Mm -hmm. but then he would stop because of the ambulance driver that finally caught him. And already David had
0: this like vision of like, David has been saying for a while he knew there would be a knife. He, you know, people are saying there's going to be a stabbing. Yes. Now he's having this vision of Arnie walking to their house. Like I completely understand why they barricaded of themselves. Of course, there.
1: I would have been so freaked out. But like mm-hmm. he's coming here next. Like our visions and our premonitions have been coming true. Like, mm-hmm. what's to say like this vision of him walking towards our house with a bad intention isn't going to happen? Yeah. I know that law enforcement would find Arnie in that bar.
0: Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is that the direction he kind of took off in towards the woods, woods, he was heading to the family.
1: Dude, I wonder like what told him, like was it the demon that told him like, go over there to get David or something? Like maybe he was upset that like, he was exercised out of David and was like, let's go back and like, wants to ruin something. as much as possible before Arnie goes to jail. Wow, the fact that he was making his way back there is just so creepy. Like that literally just sent like shivers down my back.
0: Yeah, it's, This story is really, really weird. No matter what, again, like with demonic possession and in this court case, like the story that they have and the things that happened is like crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. We'll get into it. But (laughs) after the murder, Lorraine came to Arnie's defense and said that he was possessed during the time of the murder. Arnie's lawyer planned to subpoena the priest who did David's exorcism. But in the end, the judge wouldn't allow the argument of not guilty by reason of possession. And this is really interesting because, like, when you go to testify in court, you have to swear on a Bible. Mm -hmm. The church believes in possessions because, you know, they're. Yeah. they do exorcisms. So it all just seems like a little hypocritical, a little a little weird. You have to mm-hmm. swear on the Bible. Arnie never had an exorcism. But he says to this day, he is no longer possessed. Wow. Carl Jr., Debbie's brother, was 15 at the time that all of this happened. And he didn't believe like anyone was possessed. Mm -hmm. He said that Ed and Lorraine, like when they first arrived, they told the whole family, including David, things that a possessed person would do. And Carl didn't really understand like why they would do that in front of David because he believed, like, it would give him ideas on how to act like a possessed person. And days later, David did start doing all of the things that Ed and Lorraine Warren described. Carl also said that because the Warrens would come over almost every single night with cameras, it would turn into a full show. Yeah, Carl said that one night, David was yelling and swearing at their mom and refused to stop. But suddenly, their dad entered the room, slapped David across the face, Told him, knock it off, and David just instantly did. Wow, it's it's interesting and it's, it's suspicious. Interesting
1: because like the dad was somehow able to control the demon, but like the priest yeah. and like Ed and Lorraine haven't been able to. But the dad says stop, and then all of a sudden it stops. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely interesting. In two thousand six, a book
0: called "The Devil in Connecticut" detailing incidents. With all of this, was republished. The author Gerard Brittle had first published the book in 1983 with the help of Ed and Lorraine Warren, mm-hmm. and then had it reprinted in 2006. Carl Jr. interestingly enough, actually sued Gerard oh, for defamation wow. over that book. Mm-hmm. He felt like his and his brother's life was being subjected to ridicule again so many years after this has passed and David didn't want people to still remember him as the guy who was like possessed with Satan when he was 11 years old. Mm -hmm. Carl also sued the Warrens and accused them of fabricating David's story. He said that the book was full of lies and that he was represented as a villain in the book. Even as a 15-year-old, he was the only voice of reason who Uh could see through the Warrens' facade at the time. Carl Sr. denies telling the writer of The Devil in Connecticut that David was possessed. Carl Jr. says that the original story that was written was different and Ed had made it like so much scarier Yeah, than it actually was, uh-huh, in life. Wow. even though the writer knew it wasn't true. Carl Jr. said that because of the popularity of the case, he lost friends, he had to drop out of school, wow. he lost relationships and business opportunities. Carl said that David was never possessed and that he was suffering from a mental illness that he since has recovered from and probably sought help for and when you get older sometimes things just get a little better. Yeah. In the early stages of David's illness, their mom, Judy, had spoken to the papers and said that some doctors suspected that he had Tourette's syndrome, and that's why he would shake and have these tics, like say things randomly, swearing Mm -hmm. is like a really common Tourette's tick as well. Carl Jr. accused the Warrens of exploiting his entire family for their own notoriety, all Mm -hmm. in the name of this ghost story. The Warrens, however, came back to this and said it wasn't just them who believed David to be possessed. Remember, like all of the priests that said, yes, this boy is possessed. He Mm -hmm. needs an exorcism. The elite of the Catholic Church, like those people that are highest up, they were involved in this because, again, exorcisms are very, very serious. Everybody has to approve on them. And there was heavy documentation of everything that the Warrens claimed that they observed in David Mm -hmm. now circling back around to the author of the devil in Connecticut Gerard said that he had made sure to send a manuscript of the book to the Glatzel family well before it was published and they had approved it when he originally Mm. sent it to them so he and the Warrens were like really confused why this was all coming up now yeah but Lorraine told the family they would be rich. And as we've said a couple of times now, they don't exactly have the most money at this yeah. time. Dad's working two jobs. It's a lot. Everybody is kind of struggling. They would be rich from this. Mm-hmm. However, the family only received $4,500, while Ed and what? Lorraine made over $81,000 on the book. Wow. And then that book was turned into the third Conjuring movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who's to say how much money they actually made on it? Yeah. Carl says that after his parents' death, he and his wife were going through all of their parents' belongings. Carl says that his mother wrote everything down on paper and he came across one note that said, the family had their medicine tonight and everything was good. Carl was like really confused by this, like what does that mean? So Mm -hmm. he looks more into it and says that he discovered his mother was putting Somonex into their food and that she had been doing it for quite some time. He said that at dinner, everyone ate from one serving plate, but his mom always kept her food separate. Separate from
1: everyone else's.
0: Somonex, in case you don't know, I didn't know, is a sleep medication, and Carl thinks that she used it to control the family. Because if everyone's exhausted, delirious, maybe like really easily influencible,
1: Yeah, of course.
0: There wouldn't really be any problems, you know. They're all just going to sit down and rest. Yeah. But like most medications, Xanax has a lot of side effects, which include weight gain, mood swings, hallucinations, hallucinations,
1: hallucinations. Wow.
0: Carl believes that David Arnie and his brother Alan are all victims of this medication wow. because remember the fi- Arnie and and Debbie they did live with they the family lived at the house yeah for a period of time. So and they a period ate the of time and stuff. Hmm. Mm-hmm. it it was like during the possessions as well that they lived there. Yeah, And before that, Arnie would eat dinner with them often. Mm -hmm. But David stopped all of his symptoms after the last exorcism. So if it was all just hallucinations from medication, why would it just abruptly stop, Mm -hmm. you know? Regardless, David doesn't believe that his mother drugged the family. Yeah. David, Arnie, and Debbie all fully stand by the fact that David and Arnie were possessed. So Carl Jr. is really the outlier here. Yeah. He wrote his own book on oh, this wow. whole experience mm-hmm. from his own point of view called Alone Through the Valley. Wow. A brother's true tale of survival against dysfunction, deception,
1: and demonic possession. Wow. That's really interesting. Like, even the title of his book, like, Alone Through the Valley, it's like, Mm -hmm. damn, like, he probably does feel just so alone because no one in his family sides with him. Right. The only one that did was his dad, but he's passed away now. So it's just him and, like, the fact that his brother and his sister and his brother-in-law still believe that there was a possession just must be so probably just like also very frustrating for him cause it's like so many years have passed and he's probably just like, come on guys. Like, can we still not go with this narrative? Like time has passed by, like the trial's over. Let's just all like admit like what actually happened but like since they all still stand by it, I can imagine that must be so frustrating for the brother. So frustrating so and frustrating. I think that maybe circumstances
0: even for the family could be different if there had not been the murder, mm-hmm. maybe if there hadn't been the murder, yeah. they could come out and say, well, like maybe things were heightened during this time. Maybe yeah. what you're saying has merit. Like we were feeling kind of weird during this time. Maybe there could be like more of a middle ground of like, maybe something weird was happening, but maybe it was also very exasperated. And, yeah, like, just, like just like
1: exaggerated because like, yeah. for example, like your son starts experiencing something weird. He's getting these marks on him. And then you bring in Ed and Lorraine Warren, who obviously are known for, being like dealing with demonic people exorcisms and they come obviously that heightens everybody's emotions and thoughts and you start to think like maybe this is a possession like ed and lorraine are here like what like so maybe that did just like fuel the family's idea more of like okay david is possessed and then arnie was possessed but like like you said if the murder hadn't happened maybe they would have reflected back and been like okay maybe it was a little bit dramatic like yeah. because Ed and Lorraine were filming this whole thing then they made it into a book into a movie so I do understand the brother's perspective especially after finding out that his mom had that medicine and was supposedly drugging them mm-hmm. it does make you question it a little bit it's it's crazy because you know we started out this
0: case and you when you talked about like all of the details of it like how could anyone believe there was demonic possession involved mm-hmm. in this like that is just the craziest thing I've ever heard and I'm someone yeah. who so firmly believes in ghosts. Like I believe in like ghosts and demons and all of it, and I even am just sitting here like, how does that make sense? Yeah. But then you hear about everything that happened
1: before, and Mm -hmm. it's like
0: that is just so. It's just like, yeah,
1: like it makes you believe one side and also the other side of Mm -hmm. like, maybe this is not real. But then, yeah, just listening to like everything that had happened and like what Arnie experienced and the fact that he was like walking back to the family's house after Mm he murdered. Like just all those things just really add to the element of thinking like, okay, maybe this was real, but it just must be really sad for the family because in the documentary, Carl says that he doesn't even speak to his brothers anymore. So just like imagine like your family being divided over this so after so many years still because they're all like fully grown now like I'm not I don't know how old they are they're probably like in their late 50s or something yeah. this happened when they were like 11 and 15 and you don't speak to your brothers anymore because you guys can't agree on this like one half of your family's like yeah this was a possession and you're just like by yourself now because you know what's wow. really sad is that if that demon was telling the truth if there was a demonic
0: possession, and you remember earlier how it was like the demon wants to like divide, divide the, family. the family yeah it did kill someone and it did divide the family it
1: did it did whether Maybe. or not whether it was it or not whether it was it or not what happened happened and yeah. it just is really sad because in the documentary carl just looks like so sad talking about it because he's like someone was murdered like alan's life was taken and at mm-hmm. the end of the day people kind of just not forget about it but the main focus is on David and his possession and then Arnie's possession and they forget like someone was actually murdered like yeah. someone lost their life whether or not it was a demonic possession or not like people still need to feel sorry for that like not sorry but like how do you say recognize like, that recognize that, that died. someone died during like this, a real and, person and died. And it's not just like a big hollywood story it's yeah. someone's actual real life so i don't know i do believe in like ghosts and demons like a hundred percent i believe in that but I don't know if I believe whether or not David was possessed or Arnie was possessed. It's just hard. Yeah, I think like one thing that's really interesting, I guess, from the
0: point of the demonic possession is that David kept saying that he was seeing the same old man yeah. over and over and over again with his like these symptoms that he was having as well. The shaking, the, you know, all of it. And I think that that's interesting because it's not like anybody fed him that knowledge. Yeah, that this was, was just before that came. the Warrens even came. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that part's kind of interesting. Yeah. I that's personally, it. I look at David's story and I truly think something may have happened there. Mm-hmm. I really, really do. I think that, like, Something may have happened. I think a lot of people took a look at him and thought that this could be like some sort of spiritual thing. He may have also not been well at that Mm -hmm. time, which could have, you know, really played into that. But I don't think that Arnie killed someone as part of a demonic possession. Yeah.
1: Personally. No, personally, same. Like I could get on board with David, you know, being possessed, but just Arnie, I feel like he just took David's story and ran with Mm -hmm. it and was like, oh my gosh, well, my family member was possessed like let me use that as well like I do feel like Debbie and Alan's affair was a motive totally they were both drunk that day intoxicated not in their right mind they got into a fight and it just happened you know maybe he didn't plan it maybe he wasn't like today I'm gonna murder Alan it was maybe just like a spur of the moment thing but I still think that he should be punished for it and the fact that he only served five years for the murder of Alan is really heartbreaking just for Alan's family as well and I don't know, hopefully Arnie does feel remorse. I'm not sure like what he thinks about this. I think that it's really
0: both convenient and kind of crappy to blame the whole thing on a demonic possession. Yes. I, I more am in the camp of like this thing happened, maybe in a crime of passion, in this heat of the moment, he passion, kills yeah. Alan. And then after he maybe he even believes to himself like oh my god remember last year when I let that demon in and he's having all these thoughts yeah drunk off his ass yeah, by the way
1: exactly
0: like I I do think maybe he could have convinced himself that that had something to do with it it's not an excuse it's not an excuse and definitely. it's not like he absolutely should still be in jail
1: yeah I, I think don't think so that too. Arnie
0: should be yeah
1: out right now I don't now. think so either and like i said like if you guys watch the documentary it's like really interesting to hear from their perspectives like now like i'm pretty sure the documentary was probably made like last year recently so david to this day still says like i was possessed like that's the truth like i don't know what to tell you guys like i didn't lie about it and part of me like doesn't want to put so much blame on him because he was 11 years old so like yeah maybe he was possessed or maybe it was just like his parents his mom feeding into it or like ed and lorraine feeding into it so i do feel like David should get a little bit of sympathy because I do feel bad. Like he was 11 years old and like he went through so much and imagine like being blamed like, oh, like your your exorcism caused Arnie to be possessed and that mm-hmm. caused him to murder someone. Like he does say that yeah. he feels a little bit of blame and I, I do feel bad on that aspect. Like Something I like keep thinking about mm-hmm. is why didn't Arnie need
0: an exorcism? Yeah. Why so. would the demon suddenly just be done with him mm-hmm. after murdering Alan? Yeah. Like it, it's just, it's, It's very convenient to me Mm -hmm. that suddenly, like, Alan quite literally sobered up and was no longer possessed, had no memory of, like, the crimes, like, couldn't explain
1: them, Mm -hmm. but, like, also couldn't be held accountable for them. Yeah. That part to me is also confusing. Like, he didn't need an exorcism, it just happened to go away. So. I don't know. This case is just, like, really interesting to me. It makes me, like, want to watch The Conjuring movies, like, especially the one that was made after this case, Mm -hmm. just to kind of see it be reenacted and kind of just see what really happened. But, I don't know. To this day, a lot of people still question whether or not Arnie was actually possessed, whether or not a demonic possession is even a real thing to be used in court. Because, like I said, we mentioned those three, three cases from England. So... Does this kind of give other people in the future a reason to use this as a defense? You know, like what could happen with that? So we would definitely love to know what you guys think about this down in the comment section down below. Whether or not you believe in demons and the paranormal and the supernatural. Like I definitely want to see your guys' opinion because I know some people are really you know on the fence about it like yeah i believe it or they're not so definitely let us know your thoughts about this case down below you know i feel like this case is often referenced when people kind of
0: call ed and lorraine warren con artists Mm -hmm. when when the argument is being made that like all of their stories are fake and like nothing ever happened and they are just like so full of it i feel like this case often comes up but something i guess that i think is sort of interesting is that like. I personally believe that Lorraine Warren is a, a genuine psychic. Mm-hmm. And she did know that something was going to happen That's with Arnie true. and a knife. Mm-hmm. Like, Do you think that that gives any credibility to the story? Do you think she's psychic knowing yeah.
1: that? <sighs> to be honest, I, I do feel like she is psychic. I do feel like mm-hmm. she can feel something. She gets intuition. She has something that gives her the power to speak with the other side of the world like right. with the other side. So the fact that she went to the police station and said like something is going to happen. Arnie mm-hmm. is going to do something with the knife, she didn't need to do that. You know what I mean? Like if it was part of her con and stuff, I feel like going to the police is like a little bit extra for your totally. con. Like why get the law involved if you're trying to like con a family? She could have just gone to Arnie and David's family and been like, hey guys, like I think something's gonna happen with Arnie and a knife like stay away from him but she went to the police like she was actually trying to get help for him mm-hmm. so that to me just makes me seem like she was trying to help I do think she does have psychic abilities were they eventually conning people in the future once they start to get more mm-hmm. successful in making movies I don't know I know people have very strong opinions about that but I do think that their intentions at the start were to help yeah, and I think that I mean
0: even just in what we were saying earlier, how the family made forty five hundred bucks from this whole that thing. That part is while crazy to me. Ed and Lorraine Warren are like millionaires like, off of this. Wow, wow, like,
1: forty five hundred. dollars And she said, like, you're going to be rich, mm-hmm. and forty five hundred dollars. Even though, granted, back then in 1981, maybe that was like some money. <laughs> I don't even know. But really, it wasn't. But, but it wasn't. It wasn't eighty one thousand dollars. Eighty one thousand dollars.
0: And then all the money that they made off of the Conjuring movies after that. Yeah. Like I just wow. I I think I think that they're. I think the Ed and Lorraine Warren are very complicated. They're very, and yeah. I, it makes a lot of sense why people are so divided on them. Mm-hmm. But one thing is for sure, and it's that every single story that they have is the most bananas, cuckoo shit you've ever heard the in your life. The most
1: craziest thing I've <laughs> ever heard in my life. Like when I started reading about this one and then I saw that Ed and Lorraine were involved, I was like, of course they were involved. Like yeah. anything that they're yeah. involved in is so freaking crazy yeah. where it's like, you would only think it's a movie. Like that's how yeah. crazy it is. So. Definitely let us know. What do you guys think about Ed and Lorraine? I feel like now I kind of want to do like a deep dive into them. Mm -hmm. I kind of just want to see what else they've worked on besides just the stories from The Conjuring movie. So definitely let us know your thoughts about this down below. But with that, that is pretty much all the information we have for today's video. As I mentioned, we could just keep digging deeper and deeper into this. We could sit here for hours just like debating and just figuring it out. But we would definitely love to know what you guys think about this. And I just want to say thank you to Loey for being here and for being the first guest ever on the What happen podcast. I'm like I'm so honored. excited about it. yeah I'm like <laughs> literally like I am so excited about this I hope you guys go check out her channel you guys should if you guys want to see more paranormal stuff especially now with like Halloween season she has so many good Halloween videos if you guys want to check me out you can do so at
0: youtube.com slash Loie Lane yes. you can find me at most places at Loie Lane and some others like
1: Instagram and stuff I'm Loie Bug mm-hmm. yeah we will definitely have it linked down below but all right you guys thank you so much for being here and for taking the time to listen to what happened to Alan Bono and if you guys are a part of the hashtag audio familia and are going to youtube later to watch it make sure to leave me a comment that you're from the hashtag audio familia so i can give you guys a little like and i really appreciate all my audio listeners as well don't forget to follow rate, and review what happened wherever you get your podcasts and i will see you all in the next video bye guys